0: It's time once again for another thrilling episode of Mark Out Radio. Of Mark Out Radio. For the next hour, sit back, pull the stick out of your ass, and enjoy. Be warned, though. Smarks and internet know-it-alls will be offended, annoyed, and generally pissed off at what's about to happen to your ear holes. You've been warned. Now, Mark Out Radio. All right. Welcome, welcome, you animals. Grab your seats. Grab your seats. Quit screwing around. Good Lord. Like herding cats. I coach 10 year olds. They're more organized than this. Come on. (laughs) Just messing around. All right. Welcome to Market Radio, episode 85 for Going Nitro for April the 28th, 1997, out of the Norfolk Scope in Norfolk, Virginia, hosted by Tony Schiavone, Larry Zabisco, I'm Bella, and Bobby. The brain, Heenan. Wow. Can't talk. That's awesome. Good way to go. Good way to start, right? That's a good way to start, isn't it? For sure. All right. This is Nitro's 46th win in a row with a 3.4 to Raw's 2.7 in the ratings. There are 9,467 asses warming those seats with 8,761 of them actually paying to be there. And the gate was 138 and 305. Buying $48,000 in merchandise. That's right. We've got merch stats again. Now, Bischoff wasn't wrong about the NWO being a cash cow because judging from the crowd, the vast majority of the merch sales continue to be NWO stuff. The live audience got the usual WCW house show, but where us fans, we're going to get stiff this week with only an hour of show. Why? Well, the NWO playoffs. NWO playoffs. Jesus. I feel like just bashing my head into the desk and starting again. All right, let's try that again. The NBA playoffs, of course, no matter what Eric and his cronies said or continue to say that WCW never made Turner more money than the NBA TV contract ever did. The show kicks off with a throwback of Flair versus Big Van Vader for the WCW heavyweight title at Starcade 93 to show that Flair can beat big men, according to Tony. I, d- listen... There's nothing really wrong with showing footage of Flair beating a big guy, and Vader's probably one of the biggest guys to ever be in wrestling, and certainly one of the most agile big guys. I'm not sure this is really the fucking way you want to start the show off, though. But anyways... Earlier in 1993, Flair had been in the WWF and lost a loser leaves the WWF match to Mr. Perfect on the January 25th edition of Raw. Now, due to a non-compete clause in his contract, when the WCW re-signed him, he managed to get himself the head booker position as well as his Flair for the Gold talk show that he hosted until July when he then challenged and defeated Barry Windham and won the NWA world title. Yes, the the big gold one. Now, when the WCW left the NWA in September, they rebranded the big gold belt Not because it was their invention. Well, okay, it wasn't their invention. Technically, it was Jim Crockett who commissioned a silversmith in Reno, Nevada that specializes in rodeo buckles to create the belt. No joke. Anyways, It was renamed the WCW International World Heavyweight Championship, uh, allegedly part of a subsidiary company called WCW International, which existed on paper only, which most things in WCW did at the time. Flair dropped it to Rick Rude. Flair then, in December, had this match with Vader and booked himself as the champ. Now, obviously, Vader was not thrilled, and there were a few people in the locker room who agreed. But Vader never managed to draw flare crowds or flare money. So... I guess draw more money and you've got yourself a case to be made. But if you're not going to draw the money that Flair is drawing, they're going to put the title back on him. And believe me, he wasn't all alone on the booking committee. Now, for the next nine months, WCW had two heavyweight titles that passed hands in a mad dash to assemble a unification bout. Rude would forfeit the title due to him having used it as a weapon. When Sting was notified, he refused, in proper babyface fashion, by the way, to take the belt. Instead, at Slamboree 94, he defeated Vader to win the vacated title. Meanwhile, Flair did a heel turn with the plan, and plans are set in motion for a unification between Flair and Sting after Flair wins the WCW heavyweight title? <laughs> the whole reason for this long bullshit road I'm taking down here is that this video footage of Flair beating Vader uh, led right into arguably the second best match in wrestling history. Sorry, folks, but Savage Steamboat from WrestleMania 3 is still the best. Anyways, Flair versus Sting to unify the international and world titles at Clash of Champions 27 was pure gold. Afterwards, the WCW quietly renamed the international title as the WCW World Heavyweight title and kept that enormous gold belt until Goldberg won it, then they made it 30% smaller to make him look like a monster. Uh, I wish I was kidding. That wasn't the last time that this fucking belt was made smaller. After the WWE bought WCW, the belt got 25% smaller than that. When the network launched and the WWE created their new title design, the gold belt shrunk again until it was just a little bit smaller than the fucking WWE world title. You gotta love Vandy, but let's, let's let's take a trip through imagery, shall we? All right, now, here's Flair back in the, I believe this would be 87, 88, with the title. I mean, it's practically a corset. All right? Now, where we got it? here? Okay, here's Sting. Same belt. And it now has the dent in the top. Some of you may know about the dent in the top of the belt. The dent is there. All right? Now, future belts, when they made them smaller, they would put the fucking dent in to throw off the smarks. I wish, again, I wish I was kidding, but I'm not. All right, now, when Goldberg got the belt... Look at how much smaller this fucking thing is than when Sting and Flair. All right, let's let's here we go. Let's look at Sting. He's wearing it in the same part of his waist, same the same place. It's his pecs are practically resting on it. same thing for Flair, and then here you go, you got fucking Goldberg, and it looks like it's legit a rodeo buckle. And, oops, they forgot to put the smash in. Don't worry, they'll put it in a little bit later, but you'll notice that the curve of the belt has also slightly been altered. It's not, uh, it's not curvy anymore. A Little more curve, little more curve. When you got it on Flair, little more curve, a little more curve. Alright, now, by the time Jericho wins it in the WWE, it is... Getting ridiculous. And they've also added these little red fucking rhinestone cowboy bullshit. By the time Randy Orton becomes the champ, look at that. Look at the size of the fucking gold belt. It's it's so tiny. (laughs) Look at the fucking thing. It's just a tiny little John Cena belt now. And, And again, the fucking red rhinestones and total huge curve. Not nearly as fat and as tall. Oh, dude. It's... I mean, you've got to respect the pr- the fucking balls on people to just, well, you know, wrestling fans—they're idiots. They don't care. Just let's just keep changing the belt. I, make it a little bit smaller. It's it save a little bit of money. Anyways, <laughs> it's just awful. Randy Orton's got the fucking kids belt, and then of course that one gets retired. Now you might be wondering, and I know that you are. In Titan Tower, which gold belt is actually on display in their little museum? Flair's belt. The huge motherfucking belt from the mid-80s. Why? Because that's the WCW World Heavyweight title. That's the NWA's big gold belt. That's the one. All those other little slightly smaller, slightly smaller, slightly smaller fuck you belts? Nope. Why would those be there? At all. I mean, I'm sure they're in a prop room somewhere. <laughs> Fucking weighing down Alexa Bliss's last gimmick. The show kicks off with Shivani on a bump and flanked by Larry Zabisco and Bobby Heenan. Piper and Flair immediately come out to cut a promo on the NWO. Last week, Nash claimed that they'd left potholes everywhere, which is not an unfair observation. However, Piper's response here was awesome. What? Are you too lazy to fill in a couple of potholes? This young board and collect their check? Oh, that's just gold and video games too, by the way, I love, you know, here's the thing, Nash's generation of wrestler and Nash and Hall are both guilty of this as is six. They would play the original Nintendo. They'd play the super Nintendo backstage, but because wrestlers nowadays have YouTube channels and are constantly, if they're not in the gym, they're playing video games. They take sideways swipes at them all the time because you know, back in the day, you guys weren't alcoholic drug addicts who played fucking video games too, But anyways, it was a hilarious little line, throwaway line, but uh, it got no reaction from any of the announcers, of course, and flair was actually under some lights, whereas the audience kind of slammed on it a little bit. Now, like I said, the lighting was not exactly set up to do a promo in front of the desk, but it was still good, and this leads us into the new another new, new uh, intro, including now a shot of Rick Steiner doing a bulldog and Booker T doing his flip to a leg drop. I guess that the intro is just going to be a work in progress for a while, but uh, considering rendering times in the mid-80s, sorry, and the mid-90s, this... Feels like a little bit of a waste of money for the production budget. Just make a fucking intro and call it a day. I understand you had to change it because you got to get rid of Hogan as the face. That's fine. But just get rid of the wrestlers entirely. Just the buildings blowing up is perfectly fine. You don't need to keep putting the wrestlers in there because you're going to have to keep on fucking doing it every time. And like I said, computers in the fucking late 90s. Jesus fucking Christ. The goddamn render would take almost a week. Dean Malenko defeats Prince Iyaka in your first match of the night for the WCW United States Heavyweight title. I gave that four out of five. Shiny new black tights on Prince Iyaka. Malenko spent a couple of bucks, got himself a new vest that actually fits. Picture side-by-side promo from Jarrett challenging Malenko to a title bout at Slamboree. Not the best way to build a gimmick, but... It'll work. It'll work. Great chain wrestling here in this match and excellent use of crowd psychology. Who would have thought I would have said that about a match with the prince? Cool little pin reversal chain here at the end uh, that the ref failed to put over. First time I'm seeing this guy. I couldn't even tell you his name. I really don't give a fuck considering his lack of ability. He is green as the day is long. Six defeats Juventud Guerrera for the WCW World Cruiserweight title after this. I gave that one four and a half out of five. Uvi wearing his dad's leather jacket. Well, I don't really know if it's his dad's leather jacket but this is what it looks like when a kid puts on their dad's clothes uh the 90s man we all wore clothes that were at least two sizes too big for us thank god girls at least wore tight tops otherwise my teen years really would have sucked uh. what yeah. oh god get out of here like you don't look at women the two heel commentators started jousting with horrible heel lines that sounded like it only stopped because someone started shouting into their headsets to knock it off now at the time, and even now, this was the highlight of the show for me. Why not lean into having two heel commentators like this as much as humanly possible? They could have ganged up on Tony the whole time. The second Nitro Bounce, Bronco Buster, is debuted here by 6. It's better, it's coming together, but it still kind of looks like he's trying to force his opponent to suck his dick. Hoovy performs a very cool-looking springboard flip into a dropkick that Six sells like a champ. Six straps on the Buzz Killer while still on his feet this time and finishes off Hoovy. Now, the finisher has gone through a bit of an evolution, and now it starts with a hammerlock and then a modified sleeper before he starts convulsing and thrusting his dick into the guy's small back. Now, it looks much more painful while still being a very safe move, so I'm not going to shit on the move itself too much, but he does seem to be working on his shit while performing on live television instead of polishing his moves at house shows like he's supposed to. And now it's time for that golden voice bastard, Lee Marshall, calling in with 1-800-Collect-Road-Report. Any chance we're going to get two shoot targets this week with two heel heel commentators? I would lean the fuck into this. Anyway, Lee Marshall's calling in from Lakeland, Florida, and instead of... Leaning into uh, taking a swipe at both heel commentators, he just fucking bombs it. Oh, damn it. Can't all be gold. The Outsiders and Six come out and the announcers bail on the set as the NWO take over the announce position. Hall starts things off with, um, now this is the first time he's going to refer to this trio as the Wolfpack. Nash then gets the stick and demands 75% of the gate because wrestlers of this caliber don't come cheap. And he also apparently misses Hogan. What? I know. I don't understand it either. I, you know, for the last three weeks, he's been bitching and moaning like a little girl. And now he misses his big buddy. I just... What? I, whatever the fuck. What, wrestling. Just wrestling. I, I just... <laughs> thank you. Chris Benoit defeats Lord Steven Regal. I gave that three, and f- three out of five. There's a dark entrance for Regal here. Benoit gets a nice pop as he comes out with Nancy. Tony explains that the NWO just accepted a match tonight, which I don't think that they did, but whatever. A- a- again, wrestling. All right, thank you. An accidental headbutt opens up Regal's forehead, followed by a worked one to make it really bleed and get a reaction, but uh, we get a wide-angle shot instead. Instead of, sorry, instead of staying up close so we can see the color, I couldn't really figure out why until fucking Sullivan comes out again. Ah, goddammit. Here we go again. I just... God damn it. We're coming for you, nigga! I'm not even fucking talking over that anymore. Regal has Benoit on the top rope. A functioning human would have let Benoit get softened up a bit more, but not Sullivan. God's gift to the wrestling business, at least according to him and the knuckle-dragging Neanderthals who want to lose money. He gets in there, pulls Regal off, and goes to work on Benoit. And then we end up with the usual worked and stiff punches out to the ringside area. Sullivan gets kicked in the balls. Jackie has a wardrobe malfunction as Nancy pulls her off of Benoit's back. Ming comes out with that Tongan death grip of his for a bit. Regal fucking hates that he got a dark entrance and now he's getting fucked out of an actual match. He blasts Ming. Sullivan pulls Regal off. Nancy orders Ming to let go of Benoit, which inexplicably he does. We go to commercial on Regal and Nancy checking on Benoit. What a fucking clusterfuck. Jesus Christ. I mean, Sullivan. God damn. There can be only one one can only hope, but nowadays there's a lot of them. NW Savage, Liz Promo, during the break here about DDP and Kim, despite no one saying it, Savage is in no shape for a match at Slamboree, so this is for a long-ass build going into the Great American Bash of 1997's main event. Main event tonight, though, Luger, oh, sorry, I'm jumping out early because I saw Luger's name Co-main event, I guess, is what this was being billed as. Luger and the Giant defeat the amazing French Canadians, Carl Ouellette and Jacques Rougeau, with, of course, Canel Rabel Gave that one three out of five. Dark engines for the Canadians. No anthem for cheap heat here, but there was a fan that had a Canadian flag <laughs> on the hard cam side that he would wave around when the show came back from break. But apparently, the security took it away from him. I don't know why. Just let him keep it. It's the only way this match is getting any kind of heat. I just... The Canadians work over Luger for quite some time. I'm uh, speaking of Luger and the Giant. They come up both glistening with fucking baby oil. The Giant's getting that fucking steroid back knee from hanging out with Luger for too long. I'm not going to say that he's taking the fucking steroids, but maybe he's like uh, maybe he's getting, like, some blowback from it or something. Because he's claimed, even to this day, to not have taken part in the juicing back then. He didn't inform us that he's going to go to Chicago to be on Man Cow's show this week. But then claims that Mancow is bigger than Stern. In 1997. I mean, he's, listen, he's certainly huge. But, like, Stern was solidly on top when Private Parts came out. I, I mean, Jesus. I whatever. I wrestling and radio, they're so fucking close. I that's why Bubba is Bubba. Giant gets tagged in after Luger eats a lot of offense here, wipes out the Canadians for the W, leaving Luger plenty of time to pose for the camera post match. After this, we get the actual main event of Steve Mongouk Michael defeating the Barbarian. Steve, of course, comes out with his mm, wife on paper, Deborah. Tony puts, oh, sorry, I gave that one three out of five as well. Tony puts over the McMichael White match at Slamboree as the first two former Super Bowl champions to lock up in a wrestling wing. That's not actually a bad way to sell the match, and the picture side-by-side recap of last week was a nice touch. I mean, kudos, uh, that was actually good. Dark entrance, of course, for Barbarian, and slowest entrance in the world from Mongo. Wow. I possibly could have walked slower, but I'm not quite sure how.
1: <laughs> Deborah finally
0: does her job, distracts the ref as Mongo unloads the Halliburton on Barnbarian's Melon. Barnbarian. Good Lord. Barbarian's Melon gets himself the win. After the break, Flair and Piper come out, cut a promo on Hall, Nash, and Six Flair claiming that he's held the title more times than Six has had pieces of ass. What? Hello? FCC? That's right. There's a fine. The NWO music hits, no one comes out. Instead, some NWO propaganda drops from the rafters in the form of white papers that say tradition sucks, NWO for life. The NWO music kicks in again, and the Outsiders and Six come out. Six is apparently not happy about being called out specifically by Flair. So he bolts out of the ring and gets nailed by Flair. Then Flair low blows Nash, Lobos Hall, Lobo's Hall, and Piper just stays in the ring, pouting and looking... I don't know, dejected? I'm not not quite sure what the fuck that face is supposed to be. Eventually, Piper does come out and start whipping Nash as we fade to black. So, I mean, again, listen, this is not, by far, this is not the worst Nitro we've ever had. It's short, yes. They've tried to fit in as much as they can into the show. Um, Did they do it successfully? I think so. I'd give the show 3.5 out of 5, and and the reason I'm going to use for that is that we're still building for Slamboree and there's still two more shows before Slamboree and they're actually working on developing an actual pay-per-view in the traditional way and keeping fans involved and, you know, interested in the fucking pay-per-view. I mean, yeah, I I, I guess I could just come down on it in certain ways and, and the fact that the first two matches were far more exciting than the last ones were. But I mean, now I'm just splitting hairs because overall it's a pretty solid nitro. Uh, and I'm, I'm I'm hoping that we're going to see it. Like, I don't know, but I'm hoping we're going to see it reflected in some ratings next week. All right. So get the hell out of here. Go enjoy your Sundays. Um, I don't know what the fuck you got on the go. I don't care either. Get the hell out of here. Go on. Get, 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 get the fuck out of here. There you go. Well, that was an abortion of a show. Should the mood take you, check out markoutradio.com and leave a comment. You can also find links there to our Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Stitcher channels. You can even leave a voicemail on our Skype. Just click the links and share them.